Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, welcome. We are in week two of a series called Scared to Death. Real quick, how many of you have some fears out there? You've got some things that, yeah. We talked about that last week. We talked about the idea that we all live with fear. Some of them are healthy. Uh, most of them are unhealthy fears. Most of them are the fears that we don't really, you know, and, and it's one thing to like, you know, have a fear of public speaking or, or, or uh, afraid of spiders. Like, I'm really not going to address that in this series. You know, I'll, I'll let you just kind of, kind of figure that out. Those are, those are kind of common fears. What I want to talk about over the course of the series are the unhealthy fears that kind of sit down in our mind and in our emotions, even on our subconscious level. And what they do is they affect our decision making. They, they have an influence on how we live life, how we treat other people, how we respond to adversity. And those are the decisions that, that end up making a wreck of our life. The ones that are made out of fear. And that's how we end up literally scared to death. We were so scared. We were so afraid. We were so paralyzed that we either made the worst decision possible or we didn't make any decision at all. And that led to some type of negative outcome in our life. And, and here's what I know with counseling people for years now is that when you look at their life and you trace back their crazy story, their messed up situation, their, their debacle. If you trace it back far enough, many times what you can find is, is you can find a decision that was made out of fear. That fear drove them to do something really, really foolish to get outside of the ways of God. And that's how the life ended up in a mess. And so we all have these fears. I want you to know that it's, it's common. It, everybody has these fears. One little boy had a fear. He was afraid of the dark. How many of you were afraid of the dark when your little kids had that? How many believe there was something in your closet or under your bed? Yeah, you had one of those. There was this little boy who was afraid of the dark. And, um, and so his, his mom is like, hey, I need you to go out in the back porch and get the broom. He's like, but it's dark. My, my son has this, my, my backyard has this stretch where like the light doesn't come on anymore. And he's like, it's dark over there. I'm like, take the dog. You're fine. And so, uh, and so this little boy had that same kind of thing. Like, I don't like, I don't like being out in the dark. And he's, she, so you know what his mom says? Mom's a religious woman. She's like, look, you're going to be fine. Just go out there. Jesus is out there. Jesus is out there. What are you talking? Yes, Jesus is everywhere. He'll be with you. He'll protect you. You just go get the broom. Jesus will be with you. And so he thought for a minute and he thought, Jesus is out there. And so he literally stuck us out at the door and said, Jesus, if you're out there, would you please grab the broom? So anyway, that, that's how some of us respond to our fears. We're just like, uh, and we, we get paralyzed by those fears. And again, what I want to talk about today is one of those paralyzing fears. One of those things that keeps you from doing what God really, really wants you to do. And it is the fear of failure. Now, I have this belief that we all at some point deal with a fear of failure. We all at some point, and, and, and there's some reasons why. And, and today, we're going to renew our mind and change the way we think and totally flip this thing on its head, and the fear of failure will be addressed today. But one of the things that I believe is this, is whenever I think of my own failures, I can always find somebody else who fails worse than me, and their failure makes me feel better about myself. Anybody, can I get a... I'm not saying that's healthy or biblical. I'm just saying it's true, okay? That they're, you ever felt like that, though? We're like... Phew. You ever see somebody do something so dumb or so bad? You're like, well, I never screwed up that bad. I'm up. I just want to put your heart at ease and tell you that people. So, so I, I looked up and found an epic fail video that I thought I would share with you just to make you feel better about yourself. I'll, I'll make sure that God makes you feel better about yourself in a minute. But right now, I just want you to feel better about yourself because at least you've, you've never done this. Now, let me show you the video.
video comes on better now. Yeah, it makes you feel a little bit better now. Uh, let's talk about the fear of failure. I, I'm going to talk to you as, as to why I think the fear of failure is such an issue uh, right now, specifically to you in our culture, in our day, in our time, because I don't think the fear of failure was always an issue. I think the fear of failure is much more prevalent in our day and age because of the way we think about things. And here's, here's my premise is this, is that most of us fear failure simply because we misunderstand it. Other people look at failure very, very differently than we do. But, but here, here's the deal. We fear failure because we misunderstand it. We feel failure. And I'll tell you what, not only that, is we don't fear just failure. We fear looking like a failure. And we fear feeling like a failure. And all of these things grip us and paralyze us. And so many times in your life, you have something that you want to do. You have a dream. You have a goal. You have something you want to accomplish. You feel like God's put something in your heart. And you really, really, really want to do it. But then you sit on your hands. You really, really want to do it. But you're paralyzed. You really, really want to do it. But what if I fail? Uh, you really, really want to do it. But what will they think of me if it doesn't go through? People will think I'm done. People will think I'm a failure. And so then we get all these kind of like thoughts running through our mind. Like, <laughs> you, well, you failed before. You're, you've always been a failure. You tried this before. It never work. You don't have what it takes. You're going to flunk. It's all these thoughts. And it got quiet up in here because all these thoughts come and they grip us in the emotional level. And I'll tell you why is that ultimately it's this is because in our mind, we think that our accomplishments determine our value. That's the way we believe. So we believe that if our accomplishments determine our value, that means if I've got a lot of great accomplishments, then I'm pretty great. But if I've got a lot of failures, then I am a failure. And so we, we just kind of get it in our mind that somehow our value is connected to what we've accomplished or what we haven't accomplished or what we succeeded at or what we failed at. And because that's how we base our value. Anytime the thought of failure presents itself, we usually back up just a little bit. We usually get paralyzed just a little bit. And I'm telling you, I want you to look at failure completely differently. Now enters in this dude, the Apostle Paul. You ready? If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Acts with me. And I want to read about this unique story in Acts chapter 14. Now, if you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, the Apostle Paul wrote about two-thirds of the New Testament. He was this guy that at the beginning of his life was this hyper-religious Jewish man. And when the Jesus scene came on and all the Christians started doing stuff, he thought they were totally just heretics and should be punished and imprisoned. And he was even there condemning when, when you know, like, they beat that guy to death. Like, I guess he deserved it. He was all on board with the anti-Jesus movement. Then, at some point in his life, he has this radical encounter with God. And God radically changes his life. And, and Jesus speaks to him. And he's like, man, I'm on the Jesus boat. I'm, I'm all in. Let's do this. And he becomes this student of the Jesus. Jesus movement and the student of the, the person of Jesus and he dedicates his life and eventually after a few years of studying and wanting to know Jesus he decides you know what it's time to change the world and I'm going to be a missionary and I think that's what God's put in my heart and so he starts serving in these, these local church and the local church chooses him and his buddy and says hey the Holy Spirit has spoken to us it's you too and you guys are going to travel and go on these missionary journeys and they're like yay us and they're like I love Jesus yes I do I, you love Jesus how about you you know he they they're so pumped up for Jesus and they're so excited. And so they begin their first missionary journey. And how many of you know, like when God's called you and God's anointed you and other people have confirmed you and you're going to take on hell with a water gun and yay you. It's fun. Okay, so he goes to his first city, Cyprus. And it turns out pretty good. You know, he's this new missionary. He's new to this missionary thing. And it turns out pretty good. Then he goes to his next city, Antioch. That goes pretty good, but then eventually people get mad and they literally, it says, and they were run out of the region. 
So I don't know that that probably is not really, really good. Then he goes to a place called Iconium and he's there for a while and he's trying to preach the Jesus thing. And then he gets run out because there's an assassination plot because he's offended some people. Um, so that's his third stop. This story comes in his fourth stop in a place called Lystra. And I want you to read along with me. Are you ready? Verse number eight says in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and he called out, and he said, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. This crazy miracle happens. you got to remember, like, small town, these people have known the the, the lame man from birth. I mean, this would have been like, everybody would have known this guy or seen this guy. All of a sudden, he's up walking around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. So you remember they're in a Greek culture, polytheistic. There's all kinds of gods that they believe in. And so they're like, holy cow, these two dudes just made the broke down man for his whole life get up and walk. They are gods or sons of gods. And that's in essence what happens down. So verse 12, Barnabas, they called him Zeus. And Paul, they called him Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Now, how many know this is not the way that Paul intended it to go? Like, I'm here to preach Jesus, and y'all turn me into Hermes. And he got Zeus, which sounds way cooler. Why did I get stuck with Hermes? So, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because... He and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. This is getting worse. My Jesus revival has now turned into, we are Greek gods and you're going to sacrifice animals to us. This is really strange. But when the the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out to the crowd shouting, friends, what are you doing? We too are worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. He's given them like the Jesus story, savior of the world. And he's like, no, 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 you're totally, you're still not getting it. And even then they're still like, but no, you're gods. We, we kill things for you. And Verse 19, this is where this story totally turns, and it turns very, very fast. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch. Now, remember, he got run out of Antioch, right? And Iconium. Remember, there was an assassination plot there. And they won over the crowd. This can't be good. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking that he was dead. They literally, this is, this is, this is not modern day getting stoned. This is picking up rocks. And throwing them at a human being until they die. They thought he was dead. And so after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. What a day. This is my first missionary journey. Like, God, you called me. God, I've been pursuing you in my life. You told me that I was going to do great things, that I'd take the gospel to the Gentiles. And I was, I, what? I go to this city, and, and I go to this city, and they try to kill me. And I go to this city, and they run me out. And then I go to this city, and they try to sacrifice animals to me. And then they turn on me and throw stones at me. This is not going good. But you have to remember something. He thought of failure very, very differently than we think of failure. Because i got to be honest, if that were me, if that were you, we'd probably been like, clearly, I misheard the voice of God. 
How many know if everywhere you went, it failed and it went bad and then they threw rocks at you, you'd say, you know what, this is, this is, I'm, I'm not cut out for this. This clearly is not my calling. You know what I mean? Like, I can't get some of you to go into the children's ministry. You're like, that's, that's just not my calling. That kid spit up on me once. And, and, and uh, you know, buck up, little buckaroo. Uh, you, Paul, Paul is literally having the worst week, the worst day, the worst missionary journey. And it all is going bad. But here's what I want you to know. He didn't look at failure the same way you and I look at failure. For him, it was very, very different. Because when you look at the progression of his life moving forward, he keeps on going. This is his first missionary journey. He does three. He ends up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. Most of those epistles, these are letters that he wrote to local churches that he had been to. Most of them were written from inside of a prison cell. Most of us don't think, man, what a huge success if I could just be like the Apostle Paul. Because we think he's the greatest missionary who ever lived. He's the greatest theologian who ever lived. If you go read the, the, the writings of Paul and the, the epistle of the book of Romans, I'm talking, you're talking about the most theologically rich book in the entire New Testament. I mean, we're talking about incredible accomplishments. You know how he died? Nero cut his head off. But he was a success in the eyes of God. But I guarantee you, if we were living in Paul's shoes and we were walking that out, we would constantly feel discouraged. We would constantly feel disappointed. We'd constantly feel like, why didn't this work out? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had like your own little pity party and say, why does it not ever go my way? Why did it not work out? Why does every relationship fail? Why does every job thing turn out bad? What, woe is me. Why won't it just go my way? Because everything I do, I don't, have, I don't have the Midas touch. I've got the Murphy's touch. Everything I touch just turns awful. I want you to know, like, you've got to begin to see failure differently because God does not judge your failures. Let's work through a few thoughts. Number one is this. This is very, very encouraging. Number one, first thought that I need you to embrace, to accept, to renew your mind with is this. You're going to fail. Turn to your neighbor with a smile on your face and tell him you're going to fail. Now, if this was like a word of faith church, people would be flipping out right now. No, you can't confess that. No, listen to me. The Bible says this. The Bible says that you, yeah, you got to do it with a smile on your face because you can't, you're going to fail. You don't want to be that guy. You don't be a jerk. But no, you're going to fail. You're going to do it. And you're going to do it great. So you're going to be an excellent failure. You'll be the best. You are going to fail. That's just inevitable. When you look at the Apostle Paul, what you have to ask yourself is, was this, was he anointed by God? Yeah. Was he called by God? Yeah. Was he gifted? Yeah. Was he sent to these cities? Yeah. Did it work out? Not the way that we would probably draw it up. And my point is this, and it is that it's in the life of the Apostle Paul. And if you've ever read the Bible, do you know the Bible is full of failures? When you look at, at every one of your favorite Bible characters, I'm telling you, every one of them has major mistakes, major blunders, major setbacks, ridiculous decisions, epic fails. They all have it. Go th read through uh, Hebrews chapter 11. It's supposedly this kind of like shrine to the, all the old studs of the Old Testament, how great they were and what all they accomplished. And I can look at every one of them and show you that some point in their life they fail. You're going to fail. That it's just a part of reality. The smartest people have failed. The most successful people have failed. I'm telling you, anybody who has ever attempted anything worthy in life has failed. It is a part of the process. And what I want you to do is just embrace the reality that at some point in my life, it's not going to go my way. At some point in life, I'm going to trust God, go this direction, and it might end up being a fail. Hopefully it won't be an epic fail and I won't end up on a YouTube video, but it will be a fail. Fail. 
And at that moment, what I want you to do is I want you to accept a little bit of disappointment, but I don't want you to ever accept the disapproval because God does not judge those failures. Let me ask you this. Did God ever look at Paul and say, man, you know, I really trusted you with this whole missionary thing and you totally botched it. How did God respond to Paul? All right, hey, let's go this way. All right, let's go this way now. Hey, let's keep going this way. Let's keep trying. Let's, and and I, he was like a salesman. He's just like, well, you don't want it? Okay, I'll just go to the next side. You don't want it? I'll go. And he just kept going. And sometimes he'd go into a city and revival would break out. Sometimes he'd go into a city and rioting would break out. It, just was, it was kind of a coin flip. He didn't know. But he knew that in his heart what he was supposed to do. And he knew sometimes it would go great. And sometimes it would be an epic fail. I mean, let's be honest. When you get drug out of the city and stoned to death, that's an epic fail, right? That's bad. But he kept on going because he didn't look at failure the same way you and I look at failure. You need to embrace the idea that you are going to fail. But, everybody say but. Thought number two is this. Failure is not exactly the worst thing that can happen to you. It really isn't that bad. I, I promise. Most people, again, trying to change the way you think about failure, most people typically think in their mind, you either fail or you succeed. Is that fair? You either fail, you, you either fail or you succeed. And so what we do is, is we create in our mind this, this kind of opposite thing that, that failure is the opposite of success and success is the opposite of failure. Doesn't that seem to make a little bit of logic? The answer is no, it, no, it doesn't. Imagine, imagine this. Failure is a byproduct of activity and risk-taking, right? Success is a byproduct of activity and risk-taking. These two are not opposites, they're cousins. Are you with me? The opposite of success is not failure. Does that make sense? The opposite of success is laziness. Think about it. Let that marinate for a second. Okay. The opposite of success is to do nothing at all. Are you hearing me today? So, so I don't want you to get hung up on your failures. Because here's what I know about your failures. If, if you're anything like me, what your failures become, given enough time, is a great story. Think about your greatest failure. Yeah, you're laughing over here because you did. Yeah, I told that story before. I'm telling you, some of your greatest failures in life ultimately end up with enough time. Sometimes it's like, too soon. But, but given enough time... They become a great story. They become a great testimony. They become something that God did in you to mold you and shape you and to build you for the future. But success and failure are not opposites. They, they, they live in the same kind of realm. Um, I was reading the story of Jack Welch. He was kind of the, the famed CEO of GE. And, and he's the one that kind of put GE to, on the map and, and its level of prominence. And in his, in his book, uh, it was Straight from the Gut by Jack Welch, he tells a story about how when he was young and he was coming up through the ranks, he started out as a chemical engineer. And he was working in the corner of a specific office building. And he was working on an experiment. And luckily, I think it was late in the day or it was on a Saturday. I don't remember how he told the story. But he literally blew up a corner of the office building with his experiment. Literally, an explosion took place, fire, part of the building kind of, kind of exploded a little bit. And he knew, how many of you know, that's epic fail, that's bad. He was certain to be fired. That's what he wholeheartedly believed. He goes, I went to my boss, I went to my direct report, just ready to hand in my resignation. I knew it was going to be the end of me. And, and they basically just corrected me, told me what not to do next time. He said, are, I'm, are, uh, are you telling me I'm not fired? And he said, their response has stuck with me my whole life. He said, no, we've got too much, too much invested in your education. You need to go back and get back to work. 
So for them, it was, it was, it was a failure, but for him, it was something that was, he learned from, he grew from, it, it put something in him. All the greatest people in life fail, but it's not the worst thing that can happen to you because I'm telling you, at least they are byproducts of you taking a risk, of taking a step of faith, of actually trying something. I'm going to get more encouraging here. Number one, you're going to fail. Number two, it's not exactly the worst thing that can happen. Number three is this, there is an overcomer inside of you. If you're taking notes, you need to write that down. That needs to be on a post-it note inside of your mirror when you brush your teeth in the morning. There is an overcomer inside of you. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus is addressing the boys kind of right before uh, he's to go to the cross, before he dies. He's telling them, I I need to prepare you. When I die, things are going to go bad. Things are not going to go great for a little while. But here's what I want you to know. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. I want you to know there's an overcomer inside of you. Like Jesus is inside of you. And there, there's the ability for you to just like Paul, to pick yourself up, to dust yourself off and say, I'm going to the next city because that's just how we roll. I'm not a failure. This is just an event that took place and I'm going to keep on moving and I'm going to keep on going. And that's what God has called me to do. And so no level of fear is going to paralyze me and keep me from obeying God. Are you hearing me? There's an overcomer. One more scripture, Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 16. It says, though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. What a great scripture. You know what the painful part of that scripture that we typically don't fall or we don't, we don't look at is the part that he falls a lot. The righteous person fell how many times? That's not a trick question. And the answer is not Jesus. Let's try that one more time. How many times did he fall? Yeah, he fell seven times. The, the, the struggle I have is like, well, Jesus, why do you let the righteous guy fall seven times? I don't know. It's just a part of life. It's just a part of taking risk and taking steps of faith and trying things. God wants you to attempt something. Are you hearing me this morning? So I want you to know that the righteous fall seven times, but there's an overcomer inside of them. The righteous person has something inside of them that wants to just keep getting back up. You're like, you're like a great Rocky movie. You cannot knock that dude out. He just keeps getting back up. There's an overcomer inside of you. Thought number next. Um, failure. Yeah, I'm terrible with numbers. Um, failure is an event and never a person. Failure is an event and never a person. I want you to know that. Like, yeah, you got some epic fails. Do you think the Apostle Paul went and said, you know what? Lystra will be the defining moment of my life and I will never overcome. I am a failure. Nah. He literally was stoned. They thought he was dead. The disciples gathered around, apparently, according to the story, just stare at him for a second. How would that make you? Would you at least pray for him? Do you notice it just says, and they all gathered around him? Well, I guess that's the end of Paul. I think we should bury him somewhere. You know, just, what do you pray for the man? He just gets up. He dusts himself off and he goes, we're going to Derby. Iconium was a bus. So let's keep moving. And that was the idea. But for him, when you read the story, that's an epic fail. And let's be honest, three out of the first four cities that he went to on his missionary tour were fails. But it didn't stop him because just because there's an event that doesn't take place or just because there is an event that takes place, it doesn't mean that I internalize it. It never becomes a part. Put it this way. My past failures do not define my future and they do not define my identity. It's time to shake that thing off and keep on moving. Somebody say amen. Failure is many times the best learning experience. All right, let's be honest real quick. How many of you are a little hard-headed out there? 
How many ever, let me put it in these terms. Have you ever had a parent or a friend or a loved one say, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. Hey, I don't think I would do that. And you did it anyway. Yes, every one of us. Don't, don't you lie at church. Um, every one of us have been hard-headed at times where somebody who loved us said, please don't do that. Please, that's going to be a disaster. Please, I think you should do it like this. And you ignored them because many of us are so hard-headed. We don't want to learn from other people's counsel. We only learn things the what? The hard way, yeah. So we only learn many times from our failures. And God uses those failures as an incredible learning experience. Like at the end of every failure, you should be asking yourself questions like, what, what caused this failure? What could I have done differently? What responsibility do I need to take now? What can I learn from this? Where do I go next? There's all these questions that we need to ask ourselves in light of a failed experience. But we should be learning from it. We should be growing. from Now, if you're the person, because the Bible does speak to this idea that a foolish person makes the same mistake over and over and over. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about saying, God, every time I fail, every time I make a mistake, where is it that you want me to go next? How can I grow as a person? What are you trying to teach me? And how will I take that into my next venture? That's how we do it. You, you become like, like the, 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 the Thomas Edison of Christianity. Can I put it like that? Thomas Edison, you know, they asked him, like, he literally failed at 50,000 experiments during his lifetime. And they asked him, like, does that ever get discouraging? He goes, no, I just figured out 50,000 ways not to make something. That was, that was his answer. As a matter of fact, when he was 67 years old, this is the story, uh, he, he basically has this big kind of warehouse thing. And it's all made of cement. And so he had very, very minimal fire insurance because they thought it's a fireproof building. Well, something goes wrong. Some of the experiments that he had caught fire. The whole place burns down. His son is, he was like 20 something at the time. I think 28 at the time. His name's Charlie. He's like, dad, I'm so sorry. What are we going to do? He said, go get your mom. She's going to want to see this. And, and, and he invites his wife out to see this. this. The fire burned so hot that the fireman couldn't put it out. And so, so, and, and literally all of his work, all of his research, all of his documents, all of it up in flames. And this is what he said. I wrote it down so I wouldn't mess it up. He says, there's great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. What a killer thought. Like the past is behind me. I don't have to worry about it. All my mistakes are gone. All of it's gone. 14 days later is when he developed the record player. 14 days after the epic fire that burned down everything, that's when he, he invented the phonograph. What a cruel story. But this only comes from a person that realizes that you just learn, you just grow, you keep moving. It's not, it's not who I am. It's just an event. It's a thing that took place. I move on. I grow from it. This, is, this could be a good thing. This could even be a great thing. I could launch up. All. Many times we let our failures bury us. Other people in life step on those things and move forward and move higher because of the failures in their life. What will you do? Let, let me close with this question here. What faith risks are God calling you to take? What is it that God has asked you to do and you're still sitting on your hands? Let me, let me, let me ask it a, a different question. This might be the better way to put it. What would you do if it didn't matter if you failed? What has God ever put in your heart and you knew you kind of wanted to go do it and you felt like God was nudging you to go do it. And you thought, uh, but, 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 but what about this? And what if I fail? And what about all these things? And you got all these excuses and you're sitting on your hands. What would you do? What would you attempt if you knew you could try it and it wouldn't matter if you failed? Because God doesn't judge your failures. Do you understand that? 
There's a story that Jesus tells. We know it commonly as the parable of the talents. It's a simple story. It's about a guy who gives money to three different of his employees. And he gives this guy money, this guy money, and this guy money. And the first guy goes out and he literally works hard, invests, puts together some type of business plan, and he doubles the money that the boss gave him. The next guy, he was given a little bit less, but he went out in the same thing. He invested, put together a plan, and he doubled the money that the boss had given him. The last guy, the last guy says something really, really strange. First of all, he doesn't do anything. He is paralyzed by fear. He literally sits on his hands and does nothing. And when the boss comes back, he says, why didn't you just... What, why did you, he literally buried it. Why did you bury it? You, I mean, shoot, you could have just put it in the bank and drawn a little bit of interest on that thing. Why? And the guy's response is so illogical. He goes, well, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter. So I was afraid. What? And God judges him like punishment comes to that guy. Do you see that God doesn't judge your failures? God doesn't judge what you attempted to do in faith and made a mess of. What God judges is when we sit back and we let fear own us. And we become a prisoner to our fear and we don't do anything. We don't obey God at all. Remember I told you the opposite of success is not failure. The opposite of success is to do nothing. So what would you do if failure didn't matter? And what risk, what are they that God is challenging you, encouraging you, nudging you? Because here's the deal. When you begin to walk and live in faith, I'm telling you what, the kingdom builds. The kingdom grows. Lives are changed. And there's something that you could do maybe in your family. There's something you could do in your neighborhood, in your community, in your school. There is something that you could do that would make an eternal difference in someone else's lives if you would just take a chance. I'm telling you, why not? God doesn't judge those failures. Let's pray this morning. I want you to know that you live in a world and in a culture where basically your accomplishments determine your value. That's the way our culture works. Is that fair? That your accomplishments determine your value. That your accomplishments determine your worth. I want to erase that from your mind and let you know that you live in a kingdom where your accomplishments do not determine your value. But Jesus determines your value. Your value is so great. Your value is so, has so high worth that he was willing to die so that you might have life. That's how valuable you are. That's how much worth you have. That's how special and unique you are to your heavenly father. Your value is not determined by your accomplishment. Your value is determined by Jesus. And he says you are worth everything. So I want you to leave this place today full of faith and full of confidence. Ready to take on hell with a water gun to go do anything. Because you know what? If I fail... It's not that big of a deal. As a matter of fact, I'm going to. If I attempt anything worthwhile in my life, at some point I will fail. But God doesn't judge my failures. God just wants me to trust him. Hebrews 11, chapter chapter 11, verse 6 says this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That means it's impossible to please your heavenly father without taking a chance and taking a risk and trying to do something bold and trying to do something great. I promise you, he's for you. And even if you fall, he will pick you back up. So, Jesus, we invite you into this place today, God, to speak to us, to challenge us, God, to to build our faith and boldness in you, God. Help us to walk out of this place different than the way we walked in, God. Help us to walk out having a different mindset about failure 
That God, failure is just a thing. It's not who I am. And God, even when I fail, you pick me up. So God, help me to walk out of this place, God, ready to take a step of faith with you, God. That is my prayer today. And if you believe that, give me a good gospel. Amen. 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 Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv. 